Chapter 4, Mac Mac was looking forward to this trip, a chance to get out of Dodge, so to speak. Cedar City was not exactly a happening place. Back east, there were always things going on. If nothing in your town, you could go over to the next city over. Opera, art exhibits, theater, foreign films, nightclubs, live music of all sorts. Hell, you could go down to the park and find a quartet playing chamber music. This day and age, he didn't think it would matter as much, but Utah was not a happening place. In addition to the social shock, there was the climate shock. Philly is a harbor town. The road swept and swerved to the contours of the ocean. The ocean breeze heavy with the smell of rotting kelp, fish, and salt blanketed the entire area with moisture. To come to the desert where people lamented a 15% humidity as being miserable, Mac had laughed. And then everything started to crack. His lips, his hands, his elbows, his throat was constantly dry. Now he understood those people who walked around everywhere with a water bottle. The process of breathing stole precious moisture, and talking was even worse. Talking was his number one skill. To have it seem to turn against his own body's self-interest was difficult to deal with. When a guy at the gym clued him into baby oil, Mac could have kissed him. The trick was so simple. After showering and before toweling off, rub yourself all over with baby oil. The gel kind was less messy. Capture that water against the skin. So the only reason why he wasn't one huge chapped bleeding mess was baby oil, Blistex, and constant drinking. Although Mac regretted coming west for many reasons, he still felt it was the best chance to get what he wanted more than anything else, tenure. Mac had chosen a slightly longer route to reach his destination. He didn't like driving those state highways with the trucks barreling down on him on the flats and then them creeping along on the mountains. They let these damn trucks haul three containers. Getting around them was a nightmare. His little Carmagia was jostled around in the wake of these monstrosities as well. No, the two-lane highways were not for him. He was swinging down through Vegas and then catching the interstate. This stretch from Cedar City to Las Vegas was a familiar one to Mac. He went to the city as often as possible, just to be around the crowds, to hear something other than English being spoken, to breathe some not-so-fresh air. His colleagues did not approve, but he didn't care. Sometimes sanity was more important than popularity. Besides, most of his colleagues were married with a thousand kids. Mac didn't think he'd ever understand the local brand of Christianity. Considering his speciality, some would find that ironic. Mac kept his skepticism to himself, hoped his lectures on alternative religions might make some people have a change of heart or at least question the accepted dogma, although his lectures on Eastern philosophies were never well attended. At first, he was heartened by the large number of people who signed up for his class on logic. Then he learned most were suffering from arithmophobia or math phobia and 
looking for an easy way to fulfill that math requirement. Boy, were they disappointed to discover that logic was not a cakewalk. Mac loved his Carmagia. It seemed like an extension of him. She was suffering as much as he did from the climate. He spent every weekend tending to her tires, ragtop, and leather seats. Things dry-rotted out here at an alarming rate. Add to that the damage the sandstorms did to her paint job. Fifty to seventy mile an hour winds, gusts, would practically sandblast the paint right off of everything. The house he didn't care about, but his poor karma was another story. Wax could only do so much. At least the undercarriage wasn't rusting out like it would have in Philly. Although Mac dressed for comfort, he was far from scruffy-looking. Cotton cabri, button-down shirt tucked into western jeans, and black cowboy boots completed the outfit. The tweed blazer with the leather elbow patches in the truck would have given him away as not being native. And maybe the fact that the shirt and the jeans were professionally cleaned and pressed would have as well if anyone studied him closely. Mac usually wore blue shirts. Someone a long time ago once commented on how his blue shirt complimented his deep blue eyes. Even though that had been many years ago, Mac believed it to still be true. Mac was all about appearances. He wore his curly hair long, not because he liked long hair, but because it made him appear like he was a rebel. Most of his colleagues had conservative haircuts teetering on the edge of being military cuts and were clean-shaven. Mac sported a goatee. Now it was so highly streaked with gray he was tempted to shave it off, but that would look too much like conformity for him. Mac was just outside Henderson, Nevada, when he spotted her on the side of the road. Now this would make the trip more enjoyable, went through his head while he quickly grabbed the briefcase filled with papers in need of grading and shoved them in the small space behind the passenger seat. He braked and downshifted, coming to a smooth stop beside her. Hi, he said, pushing his sunglasses up to rest on top of his head. I'm going as far as Tucson. You want to come along? He reached over and opened the passenger door. She shrugged and started to get in the car. She was assaulted by a multitude of smells, cologne, cigarettes, and alcohol. The last gave her pause. She looked at him carefully. His eyes were yellowed and watery. However, they were focused and intelligent. The alcohol was not coming from his breath, but emanating from his body. She got into the car and rolled down the window and buckled her seatbelt. She was tempted to ask if they could put down the top, but the unrelenting desert heat put that thought out of her mind, deciding that olfactory assault was better than a blistering sunburn. So where are you heading to, if you don't mind me inquiring, Mac asked as he maneuvered back onto the highway. She simply said, East. Not much of a talker, Mac thought. He shrugged. He didn't mind. Are you from around here? He tried again. No, was all he got for his trouble. Me neither. Grew up in Philly. I find the Southwest a bit difficult to get used to. The desert is not a place that most people appreciate. 
I enjoy it more for its historical and biblical importance than the reality of it. Living out here has made me appreciate some of the hardships that were faced by the biblical characters. You know that all three of the patriarchal monotheistic religions have multiple references to the desert. There's Moses who leads his people out of slavery only to be forced to wander the desert for 40 years when they created the golden calf. Then there's Jesus who went into the desert for his final trial and faced the desert there. Then there's the story of Abraham, Sarah, and her handmaiden. Sarah, of course, believed herself to be barren and sent her handmaiden to lie with Abraham. The handmaiden gave birth to Abraham's son, Ismael. Later, when Sarah conceived and bore a son for Abraham, she was jealous and fearful of Ismael's position as firstborn son and heir. You know, at the time, women's status was based upon their husbands and their children's. Since her son was not heir, she was not as high status as her handmaiden. It's a really fucked up situation. She convinced Abraham to expel the handmaiden and Ismael. They were forced out into the desert with only a bottle of water and a loaf of bread. This would have been certain death, but God interceded and protected them. Most Muslims believe that Ismael is the father of their people. Mac glanced over to see how this revelation affected his passenger, only to find that she was fast asleep. Mac sighed, turned on the radio, and concentrated on the road. Mac slowed the Carmagia and downshifted. He pulled into the parking lot of a truck stop just outside of Kingsman, Arizona. It was just past noon. The young woman awoke and quickly assessed her situation. We're getting low on fuel, and I'm famished. Shall we see what this fine establishment is offering? The young woman shrugged. What she needed more than anything else was to stretch her legs and use the facilities. When she entered the restaurant, she found Mac sitting in one of the few booths. He waved her over. There was a beer sitting in front of him, and he was perusing a cracked, laminated menu. The woman noticed a slight tremor in the menu. Without the amplification provided by the length of the menu, the unsteadiness of his hand would have been unnoticed. Mac drank thirstfully from the brown bottle of beer. In four quick pulls, he had it empty. Ah, nothing quenches the thirst like a cold beer. The waitress brought him another one and took their orders. Mac ordered a cheeseburger and fries. The young woman ordered chicken salad sandwich on wheat with a side of fruit and a Coke. After the waitress left, Mac commented, Are you sure that chicken salad was a safe idea? In a place like this, I'm sure the chicken was left over from yesterday's special. No telling what their sanitation rating is. It's hard to mess up a cheeseburger. She shook her head and said, I'm sure I'll be fine. The food arrived. Fries were hot, cheese was beautifully melted. The fresh fruit was slices of cantaloupe and honeydew. The bread was thick cuts of homemade honey wheat bread. Everything was delicious. Mac finished off the second beer and waved the waitress off when she started to bring him another. Coffee, please. The menu did not quiver as he checked out the dessert offerings. 
They shared a slice of homemade apple pie a la mode. When the waitress brought the check, the young woman started digging through her knapsack. Mac waved her off. I get a nice per diem. Let me take care of this. After paying the check, Mac and the young woman headed back to the car. You know how to drive a stick? Sure, my first car was a stick. Mac tossed her the keys, pull her up to the pumps. The young woman skillfully maneuvered the small car through the parking lot and over to the gas tank. Mac gave her $5 and asked her to go into the station and get a couple of Cokes for them while they filled up the car. When she came back, she found Mac buckled into the passenger seat waiting for her. He pointed to the I-40 sign and said, Just point at a flagstaff and keep it under 90. Mac put on his sunglasses, leaned back his head, and soon began to snore. The road was straight and boring. In every direction, mountain loomed on the horizon, never seeming to change their location. Joshua trees raised their arms high to the sky like startled thieves. Cacti, cacti, and tumbleweeds seemed to be the only vegetation. The young woman found an oldie station on the radio and settled in for the long drive. The Carmagia handled beautifully, but there was no cruise control. Maintaining the requested below 90 required more effort than she thought it would. Finally, she came upon a Diet Coke truck doing 75. She tucked in behind it and used it as a pace vehicle. The truck driver flashed his lights and waved goodbye when he had to exit. Luckily, there was a Doritos truck right in front of him that took on that role nicely. Max slept soundly until 2 o'clock. They were still a ways away from Flagstaff. He reached behind his seat and grabbed his briefcase. Putting on his reading glasses and pulling out a pencil, he started reading and commenting on term papers. This was an odious task that he never could do all in one setting. So he hauled papers around with him and would do one or two when he found the time. When they weren't too painful, he could even manage to grade five in one period. His record was nine without taking a break. Sometimes only a few stiff drinks could get him through a pile of papers. Mac was in the middle of a fascinating argument of how pagans were sadists. He used the term argument loosely since all the author did was state his beliefs over and over again with any backing information to even support the supposition. Mac wasn't sure what bothered him more, the bigotry or the lack of a clear rationale. No matter what Mac did, it was difficult to overcome the biases of the community against anything that wasn't their own doctrine. Why they thought making the earth in seven days was any less ludicrous than the idea that the world originated from an egg that hatched a giant, and the two segments of the egg became the heaven and earth that he pushed apart. When the giant died, his arms and legs became the mountain, his blood the river, his eyes, the sun and the moon, and the parasites that lived on his body became mankind. That was a much more interesting and meaningful myth, in Mac's opinion. When they arrived at Flagstaff, he shoved the term papers back into his briefcase and stashed the lot behind his seat. A quick west stop to get a cold drink 
from the machine and used the facilities, switched drivers, and they were headed south towards Phoenix and Tucson. As the sun began its descent in the western sky, the mountains in the east basked in the light. Pale pinks and oranges became stronger and contrasted with the blues and the purples of the sky. As the sun set, the temperature dropped rapidly. The desert disappeared into blackness. Mac pulled over and put the top down. Above were a thousand pen lights. Other worlds showed clearly against the blackness of space. The Milky Way appeared so dense it looked like a massive cloud stretching across the sky. The young woman leaned her head back and gazed in wonder at the night sky. As they approached the city with its light pollution, the sky faded to a fraction of its true glory. Once they drew near Tucson, the young woman pulled out a leather notebook and started flipping through the pages. There's a hostel downtown. Do you mind dropping me off there? she asked. Mac's hope of something more of this encounter were dashed. Damn, he thought. I even let her drive the car. That usually guarantees some action. What's the address, he asked. She read it to him. That's just down the road from where I'm staying. No problem. As they pulled up, Mac said, Listen, I'll be at the bar once I get checked in for the conference for some dinner. If things are too boring here, come join me. He handed her his business card with his cell phone number on the back. Or, if you're going to be in town for long, maybe we can hook up and have some drinks. Call me. I'm here till Tuesday. She got out of the car and thanked him for the ride. Mac drove off, checking his rearview mirror to make sure that she got inside safely. 9.30 found him at the bar as promised. He was drinking bourbon on the rocks and trying to decide between nachos and stuffed potato skins. Many of the other conference attendees were at the bar as well. He put in his order with the bartender and joined a nearby table of old acquaintances, people that he had met at previous conferences. They were swapping stories of Philistines that they were forced to interact with. It was close to midnight and many shots of bourbon later when he saw her out of the corner of his eye. She had pulled her hair back from her face, exposing high cheekbones and almond-shaped eyes. When he turned towards her, she wasn't there. Huh. Must have just been someone who looked like her, Mac thought. Well, even if she does show, she's too late. Sally here can't keep her eyes off of me. In the confusion of the next hour, he lost track of Sally and decided it was past time for him to turn in. Stumbling across the courtyard with palm trees planted around a brightly lit pool, his balance unsteady, Mac tripped and fell headfirst into the shallow end of the swimming pool and sank. He awoke naked in his hotel room, his head throbbing. Too much again last night, he thought, as he staggered to the bathroom. Catching a glimpse of himself in the mirror, he was startled by the large bandage on his forehead. After tending to more urgent matters, he faced himself in the mirror and pulled a corner of the bandage to expose a horrific gash and bruise. A knock on the door interrupted his examination of the injury. He pulled on a robe and answered the door. 
A porter was there with the clothes he had been wearing the night before, fresh from the cleaners. Note said rushed, the porter said cheerfully. Mac cast around his room for his wallet. It was lying there on the dresser, along with his sunglasses, keys, ring, and watch. Mac tipped the porter and took the bag of clothes and his freshly polished boots. Checking his wallet as he turned, everything appeared to be there. Looking up, he saw the note on the nightstand. The penmanship was stark, the message concise. I won't be there next time. You had a purpose. Where is it gone? Then it all came rushing back to him. That split second and lurch in his stomach when he knew he was going to fall. The realization that he couldn't control the fall. The impact of the water. The pain. The blackness. The sound of someone rushing in and pulling him, turning him. His retching and then nothing.